to hear that you had a friend or came down with a terrible medical condition and was in dire need of medical attention, to what lengths would you go to ensure and to get the needed health care for your friend? I heard about a group of guys who had a similar situation take place in their friend's life. The friend had become paralyzed and and actually had been suffering from that condition for a number of years, and they'd watched him suffer and just kind of get worse and worse and worse. And so as they watched him do that, uh, they also saw him seek medical help on his own. He went to every doctor he could possibly find. He, he, he um, actively uh, reached out and talked to anyone who would listen, just trying to get some help to fix his situation to find some medical treatment that would restore the use of his limbs since he was a paralytic. One day his friends began to hear stories about all kinds of people being healed of all kinds of diseases and it began to it really sounded too good to be true and so they were wondering about this but then they began to hear who was being healed and so they knew some of these guys and gals who had been healed by this uh, seemingly physician. And so they decided to figure out a way to get their friend in front of the man who had healed all of these people, even healing some of the people that they had known. And so a short time later, after you know thinking about how to do this, they hear, heard that this guy had actually come to their town. And he was there, and so they decided, we got to get our friend in front of this man so possibly he can be healed like Others have been healed. And so they got him and they carried him to this particular house. As he got, as they got there, they noticed that many others had beat them to the place where the healer was and everything was crowded inside the house, outside the house. They couldn't get any way through this crowd, much less into the house. And so sort of scratching their heads, wondering what they would do next. They feel like their hopes have been dashed. And yet one of the men suggested that they go up onto the roof and cut a hole into the, uh, the roof and lower the man, lower their friend down before this healer. So they began to think about this situation and what it was like. And obviously it was a bold uh, suggestion. It was a dangerous suggestion. I mean, think about the scenario there. It was also a costly one to cut into the roof would mean that they would later have to repair that roof. And so, uh, they would have to even possibly uh, navigate the homeowner's, um, Thoughts and actions toward their, uh, their, their decision and also the authorities if they were called. And so there's a lot of decisions to make. And nevertheless, they decided to proceed to go up onto the roof, cut through it, and lower their friend down at the chance that he would he see the healer and be healed by this man. Obviously, if you know the story that we're going to look at this morning. You know that I kind of lay the picture out of what we're going to look at in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. As we are continuing through Luke's gospel, we are going to come now to another instance where Jesus is going to reach out and heal a man's life and do something even far greater in his life, all in a, in a, in a, in a way to teach us a tremendous truth that we need to know today. And that is, Jesus can... And Jesus will forgive our sin. He does it in this lame man's life, not only physically healing him, but he transforms him inside and out through the preaching of the gospel. So if you've got your Bible and you've already turned open to Luke chapter 5, join me as we read verses 17 through 26. Probably one of the more familiar stories in the gospel is right here. 
Verse 17, Luke says, On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. If you could put yourself in that scenario, I think you'd say the same thing. We have seen something extraordinary. We, we saw a man who was carried in who was a paralytic. He couldn't walk. He couldn't crawl. He couldn't pull. He, he, he's paralyzed in all of his limbs, and all of a sudden, that man is not just walking. He's picking up his bed and taking it with him. That's what's happening in this story that we look at here in Luke chapter 5. Uh, Matthew also uh, describes this scene as well as Mark. Matthew tells us that Jesus, after he had been preaching in all these different places that we've talked about, decided to get into a boat, cross over the Sea of Galilee, and go back to his home. Mark tells us that it's Capernaum. And so we know exactly where Jesus was, perhaps even the exact house that Jesus would have been in. It's very likely Jesus is in Peter's home because we already know that he had gone to Peter's home to stay after preaching in the synagogue. And so Jesus is in Capernaum. He's with his disciples, or at least the ones he's called, and he's there uh, ministering to the people once again. Upon his arrival, like in every town, news travels fast. People begin to crowd around him, gathering in and around the home that he's staying. And so on this occasion, it wasn't just the people from Capernaum, though, that had gathered. Luke tells us that the Pharisees and the teachers had come from Galilee, had come from Judea, and had come from Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach. You say, what are they doing there? Well, I think we can make a pretty good case that they had the authority to be there as the teachers, as the shepherds of God's word in the people or in Israel, the people of God, among the people of God there. And so they did that to John the Baptist. They questioned him. Now they've come to listen and to question Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's a good thing that they are there. These men, for instance, could, even, could not have picked a better day to be there because Luke tells us that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. In other words, this is a description, another way of saying that on this particular day, there's a special unction, there's a special anointing on the Lord. There is a charge in the air, if you will. This paralyzed man that's being brought to Jesus by his four friends was going to miraculously experience uh, something in his life that would transform for the, him for the rest of his life. He comes carried on a pallet. He's going to leave walking on his own two feet and with his own two hands carrying the pallet 
away. But not only that, this man is, the, is not just going to be feel, healed physically, he's going to be healed spiritually. He's going to leave with a clean heart. And so I want us to examine this healing of the paralytic, and I want us to do it by looking at five dimensions in this story. The first thing I want you to see is the faith of the porters. Luke tells us in verse 20 that when he saw their faith, when he saw the faith of these men who were carrying or porting the paralytic in to see Jesus, the faith of the porters is on display here. You see, these four men loved their friend. They loved this man who had been paralyzed. They were willing to do whatever was necessary to get him before Jesus. That's the epitome of love. Whatever it takes, whatever it's going to cost, I'm willing to, to lay it down. They would not be deterred by an unyielding crowd. Here, here it is. They're coming to Jesus. They find that there's a crowd there. First of all, they're willing to take this man. But when they find the crowd, they're not going to be deterred by that. Instead, they're going to figure out a way to get him before Jesus. They loved their friend. They went out of their way to do extreme things like vandalizing a man's property in order to achieve this goal of getting their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus at the hopes that he could be healed. But not only did they love him, they possessed conviction as well. See, they were convinced that Jesus was their friend's only hope in life. If they didn't find a way to get him before Jesus, he was lost. He was as good as dead. You see, he would never be healed if he didn't come and find Jesus. There was no other way. And so they had a love for their friend. They had a conviction about their friend meeting Jesus. But along with those two things, they possessed great faith. Jesus recognized the faith of these porters. There's no way they would have gone to such outrageous extremes if they didn't believe that Jesus could and if Jesus would heal their friend. R. Kent Hughes and his commentary describes the faith of these men as being three things. Persistent, creative, and sacrificial. In other words, it was persistent because they did not give up when the doors were blocked and the crowd wouldn't let them through. Think about that. How many times when we have opportunities to share the gospel with other people and, and there's any sort of obstinance, there's any sort of blockage there, we just kind of throw up our hands and say, well, I tried. That wasn't the case of these men. They came to the crowd and they began to look at it. They began to try to figure out what they could do. And they made a way. They were persistent, but they were also creative. See, it was creative because they refused to idly stand by and watch their friend miss out on meeting Jesus. And so instead, they devised a plan to get him in the house. They decided to go up on the roof, dig through, which leads to a, that third aspect. It was sacrificial. Because these men would have to pay for the repairs to the homeowner's roof. The faith of the, four, of the porters is on display here in this story. They believed Jesus could do something for their friend. But the second dimension that we see is the faith of the paralytic. The four porters weren't the only ones who displayed faith. The, the paralytic also displayed faith. See, he was willing to go along. He willingly allowed these porters, his friends to carry him to Jesus. And when the crowd was blocking the entrance to the house and there seemed to be no other way inside other than going up and, and through the roof, he was willing to go along. How many of us would be willing to go along with that? And so it tells us that this man also had faith. He believed Jesus was his only hope. 
The man was willing to be carried, think about this, by people who stared at him, who possibly ridiculed him. Can you imagine if you're in the house or even outside the house, the noise that would have been made as they're digging through the roof, whether it's stone or whether it's wood or whether it's mud or it's a combination of those things. It was not a quiet thing. And if you're sitting under the teaching of someone and someone's doing something like that, that is distracting, which means you would typically say, hey, can you calm it down? Can you wait till later? Can you do the jackhammering some other day? And yet he was willing to go through that, endure that, because he believed Jesus was his only hope. He had to get to Jesus. And so we see the faith of the porters. We see the faith of the paralytic. The third dimension I want you to see is the doubt of the Pharisees. The doubt of the Pharisees. The porters and the paralytic man believed Jesus could and believed Jesus would heal. They had no doubt, which is evident by their willingness to go to great lengths to get into the house. On the flip side, verse 21 and 22 tells us that the Pharisees and the teachers doubted Jesus. In response to the men's faith, we see here that Jesus proclaims something very bold. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. The, the teachers hear this and they begin to question. They begin to, to wonder about this. Who can forgive sin? God is the only one who can forgive sin. And so in all of this, Jesus knows their thoughts. Jesus knows what's going on in their minds. And so he responds to that. And he says, which is easier to forgive sins or to to, to heal the man. Is it easier to forgive sin or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. These men, these leaders of the people, these religious elite, doubted, did not believe in who Jesus was or who others claimed him to be. They obviously understood some things about God. You see, these men knew that only God can forgive sin. They also would have known that only God can do the things that Jesus had been doing. I mean, who had gone to, what human being ever in the history of humanity had ever gone to people who were diseased, disinfected with all kinds of various diseases, coming with lame limbs and paralyzed portions of their body or coming demon-possessed, and Jesus is healing them all. Who else could have done that other than God? And so these men should have recognized that God is here in their, in their midst doing miraculous things. And yet, even though all the evidence was there for them to believe on Jesus, they missed it, they doubted, and refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We see the faith of the porters, the faith of the paralytic, the doubt of the Pharisees. Fourth dimension I want you to see this morning is the authority of of the physician. I believe the main thrust of this story is to demonstrate Jesus's authority to forgive sin. Jesus is doing something here in this, in this story, in the midst of this man's predicament to make a point. You see, the Lord forgave the man's sin in response to his faith, and that faith that's been demonstrated, the faith that the uh, Forgiveness that's been given brought criticism from these Pharisees. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knows everything. Just as he knew their thoughts, he knew what, how they would respond to what he had said. And so he uses this moment to reveal his authority, not only to the Pharisees, but to the people as well. The statement of forgiveness 
from an uninformed perspective may sound a little cruel. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's a man who's been lame for who knows how long, maybe born that way. Maybe he's been that way for 10 years, 20 years. We don't know. He's been suffering though through this predicament. And he comes to Jesus to find healing for his physical condition. And Jesus just looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven you. He doesn't do anything about the physical aspect of this body. And so we may read this and think, well, that's kind of cruel. That's not even what he came here for. So Again, Jesus knows what he's doing, so what is Jesus doing? Let me give you four things that I think would help us to understand this. First of all, the Lord understood and was revealing that the man's greatest need was forgiveness of sin. You see, the man came with a great physical need, but that wasn't his greatest need. His greatest need, just like all of us, is forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, his standard of holiness is here, and we don't meet that standard. We're born into that situation because that is our nature. We're all under the just judgment of a holy God. We're all condemned because of our sin. The greatest need in any person's life is forgiveness of one's sins. Jesus is pointing that out. What a travesty it would have been for this man to be physically healed temporarily. In other words, he would have eventually died like we all do. He's healed physically, gets to live the rest of his remaining years, healed physically, but he dies and enters an eternity without Christ. What a travesty that would have been. So Jesus is pointing out that the man's greatest need, like all of ours, is forgiveness of sin. Second, forgiving sin was a much greater work than healing the lame man. You see, forgiveness in this man's life would cost Jesus his life. See, without the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. Uh, going back to the, um, the movie that I was uh, mentioning earlier, the Ten Commandments, the Passover, the, the people are safe in the house. Why? Because a lamb was sacrificed, blood was taken to put over the doorpost of the house so that the death angel would pass over them. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and what he would do for us. Jesus' blood would be shed on, on the cross so that we could be protected under and in him. Jesus is making this point. He's going to do this big job for us. Third, we see that the man may have been a paralytic due to the guilt of sin because physical impairments sometimes have some sort of moral backstory. Perhaps that's what's going on here. So that's a third possibility for why Jesus did what he did. Healing the physical before the spiritual would not have solved the real problem if that were the case. And then there's a fourth thing that Jesus maybe is doing here. You see, Jesus pronounced forgiveness so he could confront his detractors with the implications of the healing that was coming to the paralytic. He's doing something to kind of set the stage for what's coming next. The Pharisees naturally perceived forgiving sins to be an easier action. The reason for that is because you couldn't verify it. So Jesus is saying something that he's now going to verify in a greater way. They would say, hey, it's easy. Go ahead and say he's forgiven, even though that would be blasphemous, but you couldn't verify, you couldn't prove it. So Jesus here is putting a lock on this spiritual logic by verifying this moral miracle of forgiveness by the physical miracle of healing. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I've got authority to do both. I can heal you physically, but more importantly, I can heal you spiritually. 
The spiritual is the most important. But so that you know that I have power and authority to do that, I'm going to do the lesser. I'm going to do the more, in your eyes, verifiable aspect. That's why in Luke 5, 24, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He looks at the paralytic and says, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. The authority of the physician to heal the paralytic resulted in a healing. Think about this. That's instantaneous, it's thorough, and it is transforming. The Bible tells us immediately he rose up before them, verse 25. You see, this healing did not take place over a period of time. Jesus didn't say, you are going to be healed, go home and wait on it, or, or partially heal him and say, that's going to get better as the days and months and years go. No, it's instantaneously taking place in his life. He instantly gets up, immediately rises up. And then he, the Bible says he picked up what he had been lying on, which means the man immediately had strength in his legs and his arms. The healing affected every facet of his body. It's thorough. It's thorough. He's not only been healed. Think about that. Here's a man that's been paralyzed for many, many years. What happens when you don't use certain muscles? Anybody ever had major surgery? I remember 10, 11 years ago this year, I had major knee surgery. And so I, I tore, a para, or, uh, tore a tendon in my knee. I forget what it's called. A tendon in my knee. It's one of those <laughs> tendons. It starts with a P. Um, I was going to call it another tendon. I've had so many surgeries, I forget what's happened over the years. But I tore this tendon in my knee. And so I was in a straight leg brace for like eight weeks, not even able to, to to bend my knee at all whatsoever. And then I was in rehab for 13 total weeks, and then I'm trying to get things back. What I quickly began to learn is that when you don't use muscles, that baby shrivels up really, really quick. And it takes a long time to get it back, to get that strength back. Here's what Jesus does. He looks at the man and says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. It's not like he's getting up like a little giraffe that's just been birthed and kind of knees and wobbling and all that stuff. No, instantly there's strength in every facet of the muscle fiber. Every tendon is strong. He picks up the bed and he walks. I don't believe he just walked out. I believe he skipped like a young calf going out of the gate. Thorough. That's what Jesus does in our lives. And not only that, what happens is we see that it's, that it's um, transformational. He gets up and he's, he's praising God. Everybody's praising God for what's going on. There's something that happens in this, life, this man's life that is absolutely miraculous. He went home glorifying God, Luke tells us. This man had been transformed by Jesus. You see, he came as a sinner seeking healing physically. Now he leaves not just with a bodily healing, but he leaves with a heart healing, a soul healing. He leaves redeemed in both body and soul. He bore something even far greater than the pallet he carried with him. He bears a clean heart before God. That's what Jesus does when we meet him. That's what Jesus does when we come before the healer, the great physician, and we experience his authority over our life. It's instantaneous, it's thorough, and it is transformational. But there's a fifth dimension that we see in this text, and that's the amazement of the public. The people who witnessed this incredible miracle were seized with amazement. And verse 26 tells us they glorified God. You see, they watched Jesus heal this paralytic physically and spiritually. And the transformation in this man's life was undeniable. So they gave glory to God for it because they saw an amazing thing. They saw amazing grace. 
So I go back to the question that I began with. What would you do if you had a friend who you knew needed a special healing touch in his or her life? To what lengths would you go to make sure that that friend gets the services and the care that that person needs? What lengths would you go? What price would you pay? I've heard stories of parents with kids who are diagnosed with cancer, and they will do and pay any price to get the doctor and the care needed to get their child cured of cancer, healed from cancer. What links would we go to to bring a friend before Jesus to be healed in such a way? Like a parent contending for a child, I believe that we as believers ought to be willing to do what is necessary to get our sinful family and friends in front of Jesus. Think about what these four men did for their friend. They went to great links, great cost, great sacrifice, great ridicule to make sure that their friend could get in front of Jesus. They dug through the roof of a man's home. It might have been Peter's home. We know how Peter acted about certain things, all right? He cuts people's ears off at times. He had a little temper. I, if it's Peter, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about this. Peter's sitting there just boiling inside, perhaps. This guy is cutting through my roof. But they didn't care. They wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to go to great lengths to get our friends and our family in front of Jesus. Here's the great question. Do we have the faith that these porters had to be willing to do that? How committed are we to, to, to bringing our friends, getting our friends in front of Jesus? Here's a good question. When was the last time simply that you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you told your story of what Jesus has done in you and through you to another person? When's the last time you simply invited someone to come to worship with you or come to small groups with you? I mean, we ought to be doing these things all the time. And I ask that question and I make that statement not to, just, not to, to, to spank anybody or, or to discipline anybody or anything like that. Many of you invite, invite and share the gospel to people all the time. We see that because new families are, are coming and connecting with our church regularly. But it's a great challenge to all of us to understand that the greatest need in any person's life is forgiveness, and Jesus is the only one who could forgive their sin. Therefore, we need to do everything we can to get them in front of Jesus. You say, how do we do that? You get them in front of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them hear the message of Jesus, and that gets them in front of the Lord. There's something else in this story that is amazing. The public watched Jesus forgive a man's sin and prove his authority to do so by healing him of his paralysis. And in response, think about this, they glorified God in amazement of what had taken place, and yet none of them actually reached out and said, Jesus, what you've done in his life, please do it in my life. Do you notice that? Luke doesn't tell us, Mark doesn't tell us, Matthew doesn't tell us in any situation where the people here that were there and, and were amazed by what was taking place actually said, Jesus, I want that for myself. They just gave general praise, general glory to God, which is rightfully so, but they didn't take it a step further and say, that is so amazing, I want it in my life. I want it in my heart. I need that for myself. I want to be touched by Jesus. I want to sit in front of Jesus. See, they didn't have the faith that the paralytic had. 
The faith of the porters took the man to Jesus. The faith of the paralytic says, take me to Jesus. I want to go to Jesus. I need to be before Jesus. And the people there watching, maybe like the people here watching here online or in this room, you say, that's an awesome story. <laughs> that's incredible. Glory to God for what he did in that person's life. But we don't take it the next step and say, I need that in my life. I need to be healed physically. I need to be healed spiritually, more importantly. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know what the Lord would be speaking to us, but I hope he's saying this to believers. Hey, you need to follow the faith of these porters and do everything you can out of love and of conviction and out of sacrifice, being willing to take people to Jesus and get them in front of Jesus and share the gospel with them. Be committed to that. Demonstrate that faith. Maybe saying to others, you need to have the faith of the paralytic to say, I need to go to Jesus. Help me get to Jesus. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus, even calling out to him today in this moment in this hour. The faith of the paralytic led him to a decision in his life where he believed on Jesus. He believed in him. That's why Jesus says, your faith basically has healed you, right? Your faith, he sees the faith, not just the porters, but I believe he also sees the faith of the paralytic. And because of that, he heals this man. Do we have that same kind of faith this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we see in this passage what we see going on and the love of Jesus being willing to, to heal and to touch people's lives. God, I thank you for the testimony of these men who brought their friend to Jesus, the testimony of this man who wanted to go to Jesus. And God, as we sit here this morning, as we think about what that means for us, for believers, it's a challenge to be bold in our evangelism, convictional in our evangelism, loving in our evangelism. God, the truth be told, we all live and we all work with and we go to school with and we, we, we are part of a family where there are many people who are in need of the healing touch of Jesus Christ. And it could be that we are the only one that can help them get in front of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would seize that opportunity. And with love in our hearts and with conviction in our hearts and with a willing to sacrifice and do what's necessary, go to them and share and invite and, and do whatever and anything we can to get them in front of Jesus. But Father, for some sitting here listening online, today may be the day like this paralytic where they are let down and they believe on Jesus. The man could have been taken to this home. He could have been let down through the roof and he could have seen Jesus and, and the whole thing thought, man, this is awesome, this is good, but never really believed in his heart that Jesus could do what he could do. But Father, that was not the case. Lord, some said in this room, they could hear this message and think that's a pretty neat story. That's a really wonderful thing. But in their hearts, they don't really believe that Jesus can or maybe will or wants to. touch and heal their lives. But Lord, we see all throughout scripture, that is exactly what you want to do. Lord, you love us. You care for us. And the reason and the way we know this is because you have demonstrated that love on the cross. No greater love is this than a man lay down his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Lord, the Bible over and over again reminds us and confirms to us your love for us, even in our sins. 
So today, God, I just pray you draw people to yourself. Pray that you'd open our hearts. Some that means today needs to be the day that they say yes to Jesus for salvation. For others, it's as believers, we say, Lord, help me. Forgive me for my lack of boldness and help me now to be bold and convictional and loving and how I go about doing everything I can to get my friends and family in front of Jesus. Lord, you help us. Speak to us. Draw us to the decisions you would call us to do. May we respond in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.